Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. When you think about all that God has done for us, when you think about all that He has given us, when you think about the grace that He has shown us and done so many things that are immeasurable in human words and terms, you begin to wonder how can anybody be saved by a God that is like that, be saved by grace, and yet slip below where we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to live. You begin to wonder why we have a tendency to replace the best with the inferior. You remember that Jesus said to one of the churches in the book of Revelation, you have left your first love. There's a loss of love. Uh, you love me, but not like you used to love me. You're, you're serving more, but you're not enjoying it. You're just going through the motions. And then you remember Jesus talked about in the, the Gospel of Matthew where He talked about that people receive the Word but that the deceitfulness of riches and the worries of this world begin to choke out the world. You know, you know that's what's happened to you. It happens to me. You, you want to hear the Word. You want to live the life. You, you want to apply the principles. You want to believe God. You want to trust God. You want to pray. But you leave church on Sunday. And the deceitfulness of riches, I got to make money, I got to make money, I got to have this, I got to buy that, I want to own that, I want to have this. The deceitfulness of riches, those things will make me happy. And the worries of this world, what's going to happen if, what's going to happen if this happens? What if I don't get this and what if I don't get that? The worries of this world, those two things combined, Jesus says, chokes the word out. That's why you wonder why it doesn't work from Sunday to Sunday. Because of the deceitfulness of riches, we bought the lie that the more money we have, the happier we are. And the worries of this world, what's going to happen? And we play all these what-if games in our minds, and most of them never happen, and they begin to choke the Word, and it becomes, Jesus says, unfruitful. So you can have a loss of love, you can have a loss of loyalty, and then what you tend to do when you've lost your love and you've lost your loyalty to God because of secondary and inferior things, you latch on to something that you think might make God happy. And that's legalism. I'll come to church, I'll check the box, I'll do the little things I'm supposed to do, I'll keep up appearances, I'll go through the motions, I'll wear the facade, I'll pretend that I'm better than everybody else, and as long as I can fool my peers, then I'm okay. The problem is the people you're trying to fool are trying to fool you, and there's no reality. And so what happens is this curse of legalism comes on us, and instead of loving the Lord... We try to add something to Jesus when He is the all-sufficient one. Paul would not let the Galatians get by with this. And, and sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get a drift of something every now and then. And somebody say, you know, I don't know. You know, he preaches too hard sometimes. It just, he just gets down a little too close sometimes. Just be glad you don't have the Apostle Paul. Because <laughs> he cut without anesthesia. 
at least I can soften the blow every now and then. I mean, the Apostle Paul, he comes in with guns blazing, and he's roaring, and, and he's, he is on the attack in this letter because he has seized the threat to the church and the threat to the individual believers. And here's why this book is so important. What happened to the Galatians can happen to good people like us. It can happen to some of God's best people that we begin to buy into keeping rules and figuring out a system that we're comfortable with living with rather than living by faith in God on a day-to-day basis. So let's look at the background. A couple of things here. Uh, We've talked about the fact that Romans and James and Galatians all have uh, this just shall live by faith. Let me tell you what Romans is. Romans is written to negate the idea that you can be saved by keeping the law. When you read the book of Romans, and by the way, Galatians is a cliff notes of Romans. What Paul writes about in Galatians, he expands in the book of Romans. Romans is written to negate the idea that you can be saved by being a law keeper. Just as you cannot be saved by being a law keeper, you cannot be sanctified, live a holy life by keeping the law. And so that's what Paul deals with in Romans 6, 7, and 8, that it's not by trying harder. He says, I do things I don't want to do, and I don't do things I should do. So it's not trying harder that's going to get you into the right relationship with Christ. Secondly, James was written to negate the idea that works are unimportant. Well, now that I'm saved by grace, I don't have to do anything. We'll ask you at the end of this service to to sign up and to help uh, with Freedom Festival. Well, I don't want to help. I just want to go enjoy. God saved us to serve. And it is a service to the community. And so when you say, well, I don't have to work. I'm set free by grace. I can just come and and pig out and and enjoy the games. And I don't have to worry about anybody else but me. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is giving of itself to other people. And so we're saved. And James says, faith without works is what? Faith without works is? Oh, it's dead. Does that mean like it's dead? It doesn't mean like faith without works is okay, just needs to take some vitamins. He says it's nothing. If you don't have works, I don't know that you've got faith. And then Galatians, Paul writes Galatians to negate the idea that we are saved by grace, but we maintain our salvation by works. Thanks God for saving me, now I'm going to stay saved by working. And so these three books are dealing with issues that all of us face, all of us deal with, all of us are tempted with and confronted by. If you read Galatians chapters 1 through 4, are really doctrinal. He talks about how you've been set free, and in chapters 5 and 6, he talks about how to stay free. And so there's an application. I want you to pick up with me in verse 6 of chapter 3. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Now notice verse 8. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith 
are blessed with Abraham, the believer. In other words, what he's saying, nothing's new. There's not one gospel in the Old Testament and another gospel in the New Testament. It's all by faith. Then I want you to make note of verse 10. Verse 10 is a verse, if you ever deal with anybody or you're thinking yourself, I can be saved by being good or by being moral. Verse 10 is the verse that wipes you out. Verse 10, for as many as are the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all. Notice the word all. All things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. Now, I I want you to see out of this what Paul is doing, and let's back up to verse 1, which we dealt with in the last message, and let's look at it, because these are the deceptions that Paul is dealing with about being saved by the law, or by keeping the law, by doing good works. Number one, it's based on foolishness. That's verse 1. That idea of being saved, but then keeping my salvation by works, or being saved by works, is first of all just based on foolishness, according to Galatians 3.1. Secondly, it's evidence of forgetfulness. It's evidence of forgetfulness, verses 2 and 4. In other words, I've forgotten how I got saved. I've forgotten the gospel. I've forgotten what I've been told. I've forgotten what I've read in the Bible. Thirdly, it's fleshly in nature. It's fleshly in nature. Verse 3, it it magnifies my flesh. You see, doing good doesn't make me good in God's eyes. The Scripture says that our righteousness is as filthy rags in the eyes of God. We, We can't do enough good to be right in the eyes of God. So it's fleshly in nature. Number four, it's for it's faithless to the true gospel. It's faithless to the true gospel. That's verse 5. It's not faithful, it's not consistent with the gospel message when you come up with that theology or that idea that the law adds anything to your salvation. Number five, it lacks any biblical foundation. That's verses seven and eight. It's a house built on sand, not on rock. It lacks any biblical foundation. And then number six, it results in false teaching. Anything that lacks biblical foundation, anything that is not true to the gospel, will ultimately result in a heresy or a false teaching. That's what he deals with in verses 10 through 14. God has set boundaries, and we know that. The boundaries we want to follow because we have been saved, not to be saved. When God says, don't do something, he's saying, don't hurt yourself. When God says, do something, he's saying, when you do this, you'll be blessed by me. And so God has boundaries, but they are for our good, and we obey them because we love him. So there's the the background on this. Now, the the second thing is, you can't cut it. You're cursed. I don't mean profanity cursed. I mean you are cursed with a curse of sin and death. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The law condemns us. Now, Ron Dunn said that our salvation revolves around two curses. First of all, the curse of the law that demands our salvation. 
the curse of the law that demands our salvation, but the second curse is the curse of the tree that provides our salvation, or the cross that provides our salvation. All of our sin was nailed at the cross, and on the cross, Christ met God's demands, holy God's demands, taking our sin upon himself, and the curse of the tree was that the curse that we should have had applied to our life was placed on Jesus Christ so we could be set free from the curse and the bondage of sin and death. And so you, you can't fix this. The law condemns us as sinners, The tree pardons us and makes us save sinners. The law imprisons us. The tree empowers us. There's a curse that we cannot get out from under, and every person is under that curse. All of us are lost and dead in trespasses and sin, and we can't fix ourselves, and we cannot save ourselves. And unless there is a response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the result of that is that we pay the price for our sins and we spend eternity in a place called hell. The only way out of hell is through Jesus. The only way to not be condemned in our trespasses and sin is through Jesus. But you see, we even buy the mentality in the church. And I guarantee you, there are people in the sound of my voice right now, and you think, I know some good people. God wouldn't send them to hell. Hey, they send themselves to hell by rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is made available. Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 3. They are without excuse. They are without excuse. They are without excuse. The gospel is available. If a person rejects it, they send themselves. Now listen. I hear this, and I've heard it all my life in the church. That's a good person. They work hard. They do good things. And I've heard people say this, and you have too. If anybody deserves to go to heaven, they do. Folks, can I just clear the air right here? Nobody deserves to go to heaven. There's not anybody good enough to go to heaven. You can't work hard enough to get to heaven. Nobody, not one person, no matter how ethical, no matter how moral, no matter how committed, no matter how sincere, there is not one person ever born on this planet that ever deserved to go to heaven. Not the Apostle Paul, not Peter, not me, not you. There's none righteous And so we can't cut it. And these words reveal how crucial this core issue is. And the core issue is, how do I rightly relate to God? How can I know that I am saved? How can I come to a saving relationship with Christ? And there's only two answers to that question. Answer number one is, you have to be perfect. How do I get rightly related to God? Well, One option is you have to be perfect. That means that you have to obey every one of the Ten Commandments every time, every day, every moment of every second of your life from the time you were born until the day you die. You have to live up to the Sermon on the Mount every moment of every day of your life. And if you can do that, then you're perfect and you get to go to heaven. 
Nobody in the sound of my voice has ever kept the Ten Commandments every moment, every day of their life since the day they were born. Now, there's another option. You can believe what the Bible says. It's by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. Now, I already know I've blown number one answer, so my only hope is number two. Now, now if, if, when you think about that, it, it tells us that there's no earthly way out from under this curse. I, I can't fix this. I, I can't solve this problem. The law is demanding things that we can't do. Look at verse 22. The law puts us in prison. That's what verse 22 says. But the Scripture has shut up all men under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Verse 23. Before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law. We were shackled, we were bound, we were handcuffed, and we were taken to prison. This is prison that you can't get out of. This is a prison that only one person holds the keys to, and that's Jesus Christ. This is a prison that you are condemned to stay in for time and eternity unless set free and delivered by the blood of Jesus Christ. James said in chapter 2, verse 10, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. So, let me kind of set this up for us. There's no earthly way out. If I want to have a relationship with God, and the average person, unless they're lying, says, you know, I'd like to have a relationship with God. I, I'd like to, you know, I, you know I, I need to be more spiritual. I, I need to be better. I, I'd like to have a relationship with God. So if I'm going to have a relationship with God, how do I have a relationship with God? Well, the first thing I need to know is I need to know what kind of God I'm trying to have a relationship with. Because if I don't know the nature and the character of the God I'm trying to relate to, I may relate to a demon. I may relate to a false god. I may relate to an idol. So if I'm going to be acceptable to God, then I've got to know what kind of God he is. For instance, if he's a pagan god, a god of idolatry, a god of immorality, a god of sensuality, then I can just I can do whatever I want to do. Live like I want to. I got it made because that's the way the world lives. If he's a god of eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you may die, then... I can kind of live like I please. But if the, if the law tells me that he is a holy God, and First Peter says God is holy, be holy as I am holy is what God says. If God is holy, then how do I relate to a holy God when I know that I've broken the law, that I've sinned, that I've dropped the ball, that I'm not perfect, that I can't get perfect, that I can't fix it? How do I relate to a God that I can't relate to? Somebody had to build a bridge for me. Somebody had to provide a way. Something holy had to be sacrificed. Something holy had to be given in my place so that that holy one could stand between me and the Holy Father who cannot look on sin and say, I have built a bridge and made a connection and provided a way by which man can be saved. And so here's God, who I know even in a casual reading 
is holy. You can't read the Bible and not know that God is holy and God is in, in, in another realm than we are. He's not our pal. He's not our grandfather. He's not our ecclesiastical Santa Claus. He's not the big guy upstairs. He is holy and awesome God. I've heard people say, I don't tremble in the presence of God. I do. I tell you, if, if, if you don't tremble in the presence of God, you don't have a healthy respect for God. Well, he's Abba Father. We can call him Daddy. I know that. I'm glad of that. But I want to tell you something. I didn't walk into a room and push my daddy around and tell my daddy what he had to do for me or I was going to do something to him. I had enough respect for my dad when my dad said, that's enough, you better watch how far you go. This old boy had no sense to back up because my dad, my dad was kind of like Bill Cosby. You know, he said, I brought, brought you in this world, I can take you out. <laughs> Make another one just like you. You know, so. <laughs> I had a healthy respect for him. You, you see the fact that we know that there is right and wrong. We know that we've broken the law. We know that we've lusted. We know that we've stolen. We know that we've coveted. We know that we've had greed. We know that we've done these things. The very fact that we do that implies that there is a presence of a holiness that we're not living up to. I mean, if our gods were like us, then we wouldn't have any knowledge of right and wrong. It is through the Word of God and the presence of God that we understand that God is holy. And when we pervert ourselves and play with sin and pander our flesh, we know we're not living up to what God says. And we're under curse. Now, not only does the law demand what we can't do, even when denied, the law's demands are known to us. You say, well, there are people who never read the Bible. They don't know that. Oh, yes, they do. Yes, I do. Hey, you ever heard a two-year-old say, that's not fair? How does he know what fair is? Because God says there are things that are fair and things that are not. There are things that are good, there are things that are not. How does that kid know what fair is? Because there's a moral and ethical standard. Who set the moral and ethical standard? God did. And God said, you can't get saved by that moral and ethical standard, but I'm going to tell you, since you know you can't get saved by it, you're going to have to find somebody who's going to intervene on your behalf. So here's a holy God. And, he, and even when we deny it, the law's demand is written on our hearts, is what the Bible says. It is in our conscience. It is in our DNA. There is a God-shaped vacuum inside of us that knows that we need something or someone, and God says, I'm it. <laughs> Jesus says, I'm the way. Now, our culture is trying to do away with moral absolutes. They're trying to do away with the Ten Commandments. They're trying to do away with decency standards, which is, a, to me, an absolute proof that there is a decency standard. Uh, one of the best-selling authors today is an atheist. He has got a number of two, two books that have made New York Times bestseller lists. And in one of his recent books, he says that the reason that the world has suffering in war is because of the existence of Christians. I guess he never read a history book and knew about Adolf Hitler or Lenin or Marx or Osama bin Laden. Why is there suffering in this world? Why are there wars in this world? 
because we live in a fallen world and man is at enmity with God and at war with God. And because we're at war with God, it's easy for us to be at war with one another. In spite of what the atheist says, he has a holiday. It's April Fool's Day. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. And so this law condemns us. God doesn't grade on a curve. I want you to turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Because, see, if you miss one point on the test, you fail the whole test. God's not grading on a curve. God's not saying, well, you know, it's multiple choice, just pick one. You know, you don't have a lifeline. Uh, you don't get to call a friend. I mean, you, you don't get to ask the crowd. You miss one, you miss them all. Matthew 22 and verse 34. Matthew 22 and verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. Sadducees and Pharisees didn't always get along. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he, being Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now the scribes, had been adding to this. Hold your place right there. And if you want to write in the margin, it, it, they're asking, you know, what's the greatest commandment of the law? The scribes had added 613 commandments to God's law, just in case God wasn't adequate enough to figure it all out. They had added 613, 248 positive, and 365 negative commandments that you had to live up to. You think it's hard living up to the Ten Commandments. Try to live up to over 600 of them and go, now, was it, did I break 591 or was that 382 that I broke? I don't remember which one it was. How do you know what to confess? How do you know what to get right? How do you know how to fix it? I mean, they just had all this stuff. And Jesus says, you want to get to the bottom line? I'll tell you the bottom line. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the summation of the law and the prophets. So let's take a test. If that's the only two laws we've got to keep, let's just say, forget everything I've just said, and the only two things we've got to do is love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. Have you, since the moment you came out of your mother's womb, every second of your life, every breath of your being, have you loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Every moment, every second of every day. Nobody has. Nobody has. All right, you're already headed to hell because you haven't loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like the first. Well, I hadn't done that, but, you know, I treat my neighbor well. You know, I love my neighbor as myself, really. You ever gossiped about anybody? You ever slandered anyone? You ever been envious of somebody? Have you ever spoken ill of someone? Have, have you ever tried to hurt someone? Have, have you ever offended someone? Have you ever been offended by someone? Have you ever borne bitterness in your heart? Have you ever had an unforgiving spirit? Now you've failed both questions on the test. Only two questions on the test, and you've got a zero. Lock them up, put the handcuffs on, 
put the shackles on, throw them in the jail, and forget about them. They're headed to hell. Every one of us have failed those two questions on that two-question test. We've all failed it. We've all blown it. We're all condemned and locked up in a prison, a prison house of sin. And this law is given to us to say, I realize I can't pay, on, pay my own bond. I can't get a judge to be favorable toward me in my own righteousness. I can't say, oh, I know who you are. I'll let you out because I know who you are. I don't have any favor with the court except through Jesus Christ. He's the only one. The law shouts that I am a hopeless sinner and I'm locked up in sin. I'm a prisoner to sin and death. And if I'm going to go the way of the law, I have to go all the way of the law or I can't go any of the way. But I've got good news. Jesus Christ has the key to get you out of that cell. Though we've been held captive at long last, we're free. Set free from the bondage of sin and death. Set free from our past, our present, and even our future failures. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Catt. For more information about Sherwood, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. Thanks for listening and join us next week for another podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church.